0: listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity.
1: and welcome to the 1,898th edition of St Edmunds News Talk for the 29th of September 2022. The editor of this edition is Sue Aitchison. The producer is Pat Needham, and your readers are Carol and David Gooderham. We should also mention our processing team, who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Boundary changes could see 500 home estate integrated into Bury St Edmunds.
0: Beautiful rural setting could be lost forever. Fear.
1: Rise in hospital assaults during pandemic.
0: Family-run jewellers moving to town.
1: Council ward changes planned across West Suffolk would see a 500 home development move into Bury St Edmunds. West Suffolk councillors will consider recommended ward changes as part of the community governance review 2021 to 22 at a full council meeting next week. The suggested combination of Bury St Edmunds out Westgate and Westgate wards would lead to the loss of one councillor across the area. While consultation on the combined wards led only to a response from the town council, which supported the recommendation more people commented on the suggested extension of Beresford St. Edmunds Boundary to include the 500-home Lark Grange development. The development south of Mount Road would be moved away from Rushbrook with Ruffham Parish Council, Beresford and Edmunds Town Council agreed with the recommendation while the Parish Council opposed it, stating it wished to retain the parish's current identity and boundaries. Of the 48 local residents who commented on the extended Bury St Edmunds boundary, 43 supported and 5 objected. Statements by those in favour included, very simply, Grange is part of Morton Hall, not Rushbrook with Ruffham, and I have integrated into the Bury St Edmunds community and feel very much part of it. From those in opposition responses included, I think Bury St Edmunds is becoming too large, and I would strongly oppose any further incursion into the Rushbrook with Ruffham Parish, as residents of this larger area have not been formally canvassed recently on whether they want to change council. The West Suffolk recommendations also include combining Haverhill, Mount Road, Town Ward with Haverhill Central, Town Ward, extending the boundary of Oosden Parish to incorporate the properties on Dunstall Green Road, transferring some properties from Denston to Wickenbrook Parish, and transferring properties on Chase Avenue from Worlington to Red Lodge Parish. If the rec- recommendations are passed, the number of councillors on Withersfield Parish Council would also be increased from seven to eight.
0: Plans for hundreds of homes on the fringes of Bury St Edmunds, near the proposed new West Suffolk Hospital, have attracted new objections. Applicant Robert Brown of John Brown & Sons has applied to West Suffer Council for outline planning approval for up to 220 homes on land north of Gypsy Lane, east of the A143, horringer Road, south of Horinger Hill House and west of Horsecroft Road. The 16.5 hectare site is currently used for agriculture. But nearby residents have spoken out against the scheme in comments on the council's planning portal, with Alexander Bartley of Longacre Gardens saying it could lead to big problems for Horsecroft Road residents and pedestrians, and Mark Purvis of Horsecroft Road also raising traffic concerns, saying it is highly dangerous for this proposal to go ahead, as any further increases in traffic volume would endanger residents. Another resident said Gypsy Lane formed part of a network of ancient oak-lined sheep driving tracks around the southwest of Berry. adding, the proposed development will dominate Gypsy Lane and ruin the landscape so important to Berry's history. A design and access statement by Agent Rapley's said the high-quality master plan could provide up to 220 homes including 66 affordable dwellings, a new east-west link road between the A143 and the proposed new West Suffolk Hospital site, a new arrangement for the A143 stroke B 1066 Gypsy Lane Junction, just over 10 hectares of public open space and a new children's play area. Nigel Beaton of Hardwick Lane said, Council must address the defects in the road system before approving, approving large-scale developments. Neil Baskett of Avenue Approach said, The land is a classic example of Suffolk rural scenery, which brings the countryside close to the historic centre of Berry. Loss of this visual and public amenity would be a major loss to the character of the town. Stephanie Hartick, Horscroft Road resident, said, The site is separated visually and physically from the town, meaning any development would be isolated and incongruous. And inc- the, the detrimental effects upon the open landscape character of a housing development would be significantly irreversible. Gillian Keylock of Fountains Road said, With all new build proposals, surely adequate roads pedestrian areas and speed restrictions need to be ensured and incorporate schools doctors and dentistry and richard richard baker of horsecroft road said the site is in a beautiful rural setting in a beautiful corner of the town that would be ruined forever there are more suitable sites elsewhere around the town the developer was approached for comment
1: Staff at West Suffolk Hospital faced the highest number of assaults in the last five years during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, while totals appear to fluctuate at Ipswich Hospital. The Freedom of Information request by Suffolk News found that during 2020, a year hospitals were pushed to their limits due to the virus, 141 attacks were carried out on staff at the Bury St Edmunds Hospital. This number was more than double the total of 69 that was recorded in 2018 and higher than the 2019 sum of 135. Craig Black, Chief Executive of West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, said of the data, We understand that coming to the hospital can be a stressful time for both patients and relatives. Like many other trusts, we are seeing more patients with increased and more complex needs than ever before which is contributing to a rise in the number of incidents. Attacks reduced by 20 in 2021 with a total of 121 recorded, 52 instances higher than the 2018 total. And as of August, 72 attacks on staff have taken place at the hospital this year. This is already three more than recorded in the whole of 2018. Mr Black said, The safety of our hard-working staff is paramount, and we do not tolerate verbal and physical abuse towards staff in any circumstances. We encourage our staff to report all incidents and have numerous measures in place to maintain a safe and supportive working environment. At Ipswich Hospital, 2018 saw the highest number of attacks on nursing and midwifery staff in the last five years, with a total of 86. But in 2020, the year of the pandemic, attacks on nursing and midwifery staff dropped, with 62 recorded, some 24 less than that of 2018. And in this year alone, with four months left, 68 attacks on nurses and midwives have been noted. Neil Maloney, Deputy Chief Executive of the Trust, which runs Ipswich Hospital, said they have a zero-tolerance policy when it comes to violence towards staff. We will always attempt to prosecute anyone... Who willfully abuses our staff or another patient, while understanding in some cases they may have made an assault because of a medical or clinical reason, he added.
0: A family run jewellers is returning to Suffolk after 130 years as it moves into the former Thurlow Chapness and Son in Bury St Edmunds. Dipples Jewellers is taking on the lease of 14 Abbeygate Street, home to Thurlow Chabness, which shut after a history in the town stretching back nearly 280 years. It closed due to the retirement of Trevor Salt, who was managing director and majority shareholder. In a letter to customers, Mr Salt said Dipples, which has stores in Norwich and Durham, will re-employ the vast majority of Thurlow's staff. Although it is another business operating here, There will be many of the same friendly and knowledgeable staff to look after you, he said. In the letter, Chris Ellis, who is Managing Director of Dipples, said they hope to welcome customers through the doors next month. He said it was an exciting time to be expanding into Bury St Edmunds as they return to Suffolk after 130 years. The business was founded in 1878 in Woodford, Essex, by George Henry Dipple, and moved to Ipswich between 1988 sorry between 1888 and 1890 it later relocated to Norwich around 1894 Mr Ellis added we have immense respect for the business that Trevor and his family have built over the years and wish them the long and happy retirement they have earned We are very much looking forward to gradual evolution of the business over the coming years. During our discussions, we have realised just how similar our two businesses are, given our long-standing heritages. Furlough Champness roots dated back to 1745, when watchmaker George Lumley set up his business at 14 Abbeygate Street, and there has been a purveyor of luxury goods trading successfully from the same address ever since the company was officially established in 1815 by John Gudgeon and in 1901 Edward Thurlow Chapness bought the firm as a going concern it was believed to be the oldest continuing retail business in the town the shops closing down sale attracted large queues with legions of new and returning customers
1: the school's campaign to bring its swimming pool back into use has reached a fundraising milestone and preparations for the refurbishment have started. Ruffham Church of England Primary School in the village of Ruffham near Bury and Edmonds has been trying to raise a huge £50,000 to be to refurbish its leaking pool, which is used by the school and wider community. School office manager Emma Tothurlow said more than £10,000 had been raised so far, with generous donations, including £500 from nearby business Ravenwood Hall. She said, We are really, really pleased. It's a difficult time for everyone, so to have the support we've had is really, really good. The school and parents have organised fundraisers, including a race night, car washes, a lazy car boot sale and Father's Day breakfast. Former Rothman primary pupil Ryan Denton marketing executive for Ravenwood Hall and Ruffham resident, presented the cheque from Ravenwood Children's Trust to the school last week. The remit of the Children's Trust is to support opportunities for young people and I would certainly advocate for having the pool at Ruffham and what the children gain from it, he said. Last weekend, volunteers got to work on clearing the pool area in preparation for the refurbishment work to start. Local contractors TW Garden Services and Landscape and Elma Tron Pools have been picked to carry out the project, with groundworks due to begin next month. Fundraising is ongoing to reach the target, and Mrs Thurlow said it was definitely going in the right direction. We are adamant the pool will be up and running for next summer, she said. Previously, Ruffham Primary Head teacher Claire Clark said the pool was such a fantastic asset for our school and the local community as well.
0: A new youth club has been launched in Bury St Edmunds Town Centre, offering young people aged between 12 and 16 the opportunity to take part in fun activities after school. The Hangout, run by members of Kingsgate Church, held a launch event last Wednesday to welcome youngsters. Harriet Keedle, one of the organisers, said... We've got a lot of people in our church who have a passion for youth and we saw there was a gap. There's no real youth club right in the centre of town. The youth club will be run every second and fourth Wednesday of the month.
1: A family-run firm has completed its purchase of a Bury St Edmunds care home. Stowe Healthcare has bought the 31-bed Manson house from farming charity RABI. The facility in Northgate Street also features 23 self-contained independent living apartments. Manson House is surrounded by beautiful grounds and residents can choose from a variety of suites, all offering quality furnishings and a Wi-Fi connection. Stowe Healthcare is owned and operated by the Catchpole family and delivers care to more than 350 residents across seven residential and nursing homes. Managing Director Roger Catchpole said We are thrilled to carry on the good name of the home and continue to invest in the building, the technology and our loyal staff to ensure every resident has a wonderful experience with us. We are really excited to welcome Manson House to our group at this key stage of our growth. Its other homes are Brandon Park, Ford Place in Thetford, Maple Memory Centre within Brandon Park Nursing Home, Stolangtoft Hall, and Melford Court in Long Melford.
0: New proposals have been submitted for a former factory site in Bury St Edmunds. The Centennial Works site off Northgate Avenue could accommodate eight traditional style homes under the latest scheme being considered by West Suffolk Council planners. The new plans include eight homes with two parking spaces for each, along with three visitor spaces. The site already has planning approval from 2019 for eight dwellings while the former commercial buildings had been demolished according to a planning statement submitted to the Council. The layout of the new scheme was very similar to that previously approved. However, the the major change was two pairs of semi-detached homes at the rear of the site. Meanwhile, some of the proposed homes now included accommodation in the roof space, which would provide planning control over the positioning of roof glazing. In June, plans by applicant Terry Spriggings for nine homes on the site were refused by the Council's Development Control Committee on the grounds of overdevelopment.
1: And now we have some reflections of Her Royal Highness, our late Queen Elizabeth II former Lord Lieutenant of Suffolk recalled the affection the late Queen held for the county when he addressed its service of commemoration held at St Edmundsbury Cathedral on Saturday. Lord Tolmarsh, a personal friend of the monarch and Prince Philip, who had visited his family home, Helmingham Hall, for 27 consecutive years, recalled a royal tour to mark the Golden Jubilee in 2002, which had included a lunch at the Athenaeum in Bury St Edmunds followed by a musical event in the Abbey Gardens. For the whole of that day it was a joyous occasion for the people of Suffolk to see their sovereign, he said. He also recalled the Queen being greeted by a large crowd of well-wishers when she had visited the cathedral for the traditional Maundy Thursday. When I think 76 deserving people had received their Maundy money from Her Majesty, followed by a walkabout where she was greeted by a large crowd of well-wishers. He added, her steadfast service was supreme, and we sensed she was always there for all of us, in good times and in bad. The service for invited guests used texts and music, which had all been approved by the late Queen, and began with the laying of a wreath of red roses at the altar by Clare, Countess of Euston, Lord Lieutenant of Suffolk. In his sermon, the Bishop of St Edmundsbury and Ipswich, the Right Reverend Martin Seeley, also recalled personal memories of time spent with the Queen. Sitting next to her on the sofa at Sandringham, watching the news on the television, just the three of us—in uh, us, the Queen, Prince Philip, and I—I pinch myself, he said. All that same evening, playing patience, and the Queen leaning over to move my cards because I was doing such a bad job of it. He also spoke of the Queen's commitment to the community. And described her as the supreme public example of constancy. She turned her privilege into a life of Christian service, he said. The Dean of St. Edmundsbury, the very Reverend Joe Hawes, said, In her living and in her dying, she showed us the meaning of vocation, a vocation she never sought, but willingly embraced, unflinchingly lived, and graciously laid down. Prayers were led by the Reverend Canon. Harold Afflew, Senior Minister at Ipswich International Church, and Macy Williamson, who was representing the county's young people. The service ended with the congregation singing the National Anthem.
0: One of the soldiers who carried the Queen's coffin at her funeral on Monday was from Berry St Edmunds. Former King Edward VI school pupil James Patterson was among the eight pallbearers watched by millions across the globe. As they carried the coffin draped in the royal standard. The soldiers were from the Queen's Company, 1st Battalion, Grenadier Guards. The unit had a close connection with the Queen. As the serving monarch, she held the position of Company Commander and made a personal review of the Company every decade. Geoff Barton, who is a former head teacher at King Edward VI School, said, We couldn't be prouder to see James playing such a significant role at the Queen's funeral. We remember him as a student at King Edward's who exemplified public service. What a role model he is. Their work was also highlighted by people watching the events. Ipswich MP Tom Hunt said, I can't imagine how hard and emotionally challenging it must have been to have carried Her Late Majesty's Coffin just once. They've done it time and time again this week with billions watching. They have done Her Late Majesty and the country proud. Carla Lockhart said, They did themselves, their families and our country proud. Thank you. On the day the Queen died, the Queen's company was in Iraq, but returned to take part in the ceremonial events.
1: The television crew was in St Edmunds to capture the town during the Queen's funeral. Sky News broadcast one-town watches, including footage of St Edmundsbury Cathedral and Crown Street, but its focus was on a screening of the funeral at Morton Hall Community Centre. There, residents of all ages gathered to watch, with accompanying tea, coffee and marmalade sandwiches, before the planting of a memorial rose. Meanwhile, area historian Martin Taylor and Melanie Lesser of the Abbey 1000 Committee were involved with a Sky TV documentary called The Queen's People, which was released shortly before the Queen's death. The documentary looked at life during the Queen's reign in three English locations, Bury, Brixton and Bolton. Martin said the timing of the documentary was extraordinary. The broadcast looked at the town's history with the monarchy, from King Edmund to present day. The documentary also included footage of the town's annual St George's Day Parade held in April.
0: And now a lovely poem from a Berry Free Press reader, Beryl Dykes. The heading is RIP HM The Queen. The country is in mourning at the passing of our Queen, a monarch, wife, and a mother held in highest esteem. Now she is in God's keeping, her loyal duty done, she will be remembered at the setting of the sun. So, now a new dawn is breaking, and we welcome Charles III, as the crown he will be taking around the world is heard. The Commonwealth and people sing, Hallelujah, God save the King.
1: And now we have some letters. The first one is entitled Queen's Funeral Was Truly a Day to Remember and it's from Brian Davis via email. September nineteenth, 2022 will go down in history and remembered as the day the funeral of our much-loved and revered, revered Queen Elizabeth II took place. The occasion was marked by the perfect performances of all who were involved and I think it would be safe to say when it comes to pomp and pageantry no one does it better. Royalty, heads of state and dignitaries from around the world were in such numbers as to necessitate most being bussed in for the funeral service at Westminster Abbey, which was full to capacity. A further service was held at St George's Chapel, Windsor, after which she was to be interred with her beloved Prince Philip in a private service attended by family members only. We are very unlikely to ever see again such an outpouring of love and affection to anyone from such diverse cultures and nationalities as we witnessed on Monday. Long live the King.
0: And another poem uh, from a very free press reader in tribute to the Queen. The nation mourns your passing, and many shed a tear. You've reigned over us professionally and filled us full of cheer. You've joined in celebrations, the happy and the sad. You've shared your wisdom with the world and let us know you cared. The sun is glinting on your crown as you slowly make your way. A solemn journey from Westminster to Windsor Park today. Your dashing prince is waiting. We think you'll agree. It's time to kick off your socks and shoes and finally be free. After 70 years of service, it's time for your vacation. Your train leaves soon at 2.22 from Paddington Central Station. The stars shine more brightly now, too brighter than the rest. As you take your place in heaven, we feel we've all been blessed. You still look down on, over us, that green and pleasant land. Share that brilliant smile with his gently, with his and gently wave your hand. You've left your elder son in charge. You've trained him from the start. Supported by his family, we're sure he'll play his part. God bless his royal highness. Charles, he has big shoes to fill. But we're, sh- but we're sure he'll do his duty and pledge, pledge to, to us I will.
1: And this is from Linda Carran um, via email. And it's headed poetry from a hospital bed. I was visiting my mum at the West Suffolk Hospital. In the bed opposite, my mum was an 87-year-old and I asked her what she was doing as I saw her writing on the side of a tissue box. She had made up the following tribute, so I thought I would share it. Tears they fell, as did the ruin, rain, when our Queen was relieved of pain. We'll never see her like again. Our loss is heaven's gain. Now Charles the Third will rule us all, Give him the strength, like his mum, to walk tall. And that was written by Edna Ayres on the 12th of September, 2022.
0: And the next item is uh, about the NHS. Forgive my memory, but was it just a couple of years ago we nervously opened up our front doors with COVID rampaging all around us and clapped? For whom? the NHS. I remember looking across the street to neighbours who had been shut behind doors and windows as we all said what, a, what seemed a fairly lame albeit supportive thank you at the time. We clapped for those NHS heroes who had been working through one of the most frightening and personally dangerous periods in living history. These NHS heroes I don't use the word likely, had worked through the early horrific days of the pandemic while the rest of the country hoisted the collective drawbridge. And yet, we learn this week that NHS staff at the West Suffolk Hospital in Bury St Edmunds suffered the greatest number of assaults in 2020, more than double the 2018 totals. The total for 2022 already stands at more than the 2018 level. So our wonderful NHS staff are still working, still working with a lurking danger. It's not COVID so much as regular patients. This has to stop and quickly. No one should live in fear of assault and the, fi- and the full might of the law needs to come down on offenders so that our angels can once again fly in relative safety.
1: This email uh, letter is from Jim Mitchell. Concentrate on improving NHS. Therese Coffey, Secretary of State for Health and Social Services and Deputy Prime Minister, has certainly set the literary world alight with her comments about how not to use the Oxford comma. However, what people are most concerned about is that the NHS really needs someone with grip and courage to affect game-changing decisions in the national interest, such as reducing the rapidly lengthening waiting lists for treatment and to sort out the inadequate financial remuneration of nurses' pay. So, may we implore the new NHS Supremo to sideline these peripheral elements of her job and focus 100% on things that really matter to people, namely drastically improving the quality of management within our most cherished achievement within the most post-war welfare state. And in doing so, Dr Coffey, representing a Suffolk constituency, will have the thanks of a grateful nation.
0: And this letter is from Jerome Walls, and this was sent by email. Uh, The heading is, Financial Package is Badly Thought Out. Unfortunately, as the nation is distracted, Liz Truss's badly thought-through rescue package is not being scrutinised as it should be. The package loads a staggering amount of debt, easily easily possibly to be £150 billion, onto the public purse, while not attempting to tax the estimated excess profits of £170 billion being made by the energy producers in the same period. The rationale is that taxing these profits will put off investment. This is clearly highly unlikely given the vast profits this sector always makes and the fact that there will always be a demand for energy. The actual effect is highly likely to destabilize the pound and push interest rates up meaning sharp rises in mortgage rates for all. The flawed plan is compounded by the folly of proposing tax cuts at the same time to the tune of £30 billion. These cuts will disproportionately benefit the rich and are highly unlikely to produce anything other than making the well off richer. The cuts will be very likely to push inflation higher as prices are rising. As there is a shortage of supply, not demand, so putting more money into the economy will just push prices up. This is GCSE economics, which the Oxford educated Prime Minister seems unable to grasp. The idea of trickle-down economics is widely discredited. Yes, the government had to cap costs, but it's a very poor start when the leader of the country appears to have a plan that is so badly thought through that it ignores the obvious way to have the cost substantially paid for.
1: And this letter from Graham Day of Stowmarket. District hosted Ugandan Asians. Fifty years ago, the dreadful despotic dictator Idi Amin expelled Asians, mainly business owners, from Uganda. At the time, I was working at the former Gipping Rural District Council at Needham Market the government of the day asked if any local authorities could make any houses available for them. At the time, the Gipping Valley bypass on the A45, now the A14, was being built. As part of the process, houses on the route had been acquired. However, some were not destroyed and, as luck would have it, there were two houses in Paper Mill Lane, Claydon, which could be offered to house the families. The bypass cut Paper Mill Lane in two, necessitating a realignment. The houses were duly let and were occupied. I often wondered what became of the families, how successful were they in their life in the UK? A case of a small authority doing its bit to help.
0: And another letter here from P. Harbour of South Lopham. It's entitled Back from the Dead. When we moved to our new home almost two years ago, the outgoing owner put, put a dried up, dusty, boring old cactus in the compost heap before leaving. Feeling very sorry for it on our arrival, I gently lifted it out, It, it dusted off the snow and potted it up, bringing it into the house. After a year, I put it in, in my new greenhouse, thinking it would love the heat. Not so. It began to look ill. So, in desperation, I planted it in the garden in a sunny spot. A few months later, I have been rewarded with the most beautiful display of large, tropical-looking flowers, all coming one after another. A true, a true delight to see. It will need protecting come the winter, but what a joy to see it so happy in its forever home maybe with global warming we should all be growing cacti in our gardens
1: and now we have some features and this one is by tamika green she went behind the scenes at raf mildenhall to find out what life is like on an american airbase i wasn't sure what to expect as i drove to raf mildenhall a few weeks ago i was nervous but I was looking forward to seeing what life was like for personnel and their family members on base. Once inside, I met Staff Sergeant Justin Elliot, who has been in the USAF for ten years, having always wanted to join from a young age. Since being in the ninth grade, I always wanted to be a pilot, he said. The twenty-eight-year-old, originally from Arkansas, or Arkansas, I think it's pronounced, explained that personnel have two jobs an office-based job and a flying one. In my office job, I will give evaluations to people as they're flying to make sure they're up to standards and I'll file paperwork and make sure everyone is qualified, he said. For the flying portion, I am a boom operator, which is an air refuelling specialist. I fly and refuel fighters and bombers in the sky. We're like a flying gas station. We help support all of Africa, Europe and our NATO and host nation partners as well. Sometimes I can be gone for a month or a week, whatever the mission dictates. We can travel to Greece, Spain or Germany mostly. Training to be in the USAF varies from profession to profession. Recruits do basic training for two months, a fundamentals class which teaches aviation, a survival evasion, resistance and escape course and water survival training for a month and a four-month course for their particular aircraft. In Staff Sergeant Elliott's job, he uses a joystick to control the boom. A long metal extendable arm positioned at the rear of the aircraft, line it up with the aircraft's receptacle and offload fuel. One of the biggest challenges is probably the weather. If it's bumpy or choppy, that makes it hard. When in foreign nations, if they don't speak English, That could be a big language barrier and it makes it a little bit harder. But the biggest challenge is training. We're the the only ones who have air refuelling systems like this. Other countries don't get to practice as much as us, so we're usually there first time refuelling in two or three years. Base life is good, he said. We have a lot of amenities like the base theatre. We can watch up-to-date movies from America here on base at a decent price. We have a gas station, different restaurants, the gym and the biggest thing is the bowling alley. There is a child development centre on base which provides childcare services for personnel who are working during the day and RAF Mildenhall is part of a tri-base community with RAF Lakenheath and RAF Feltwell which means that various amenities like elementary, middle and high schools can be shared. There is also a library, post office, grocery shops, dormitories for junior airmen and parks. Much like how schools are shared between Lakenheath and and Mildenhall, base exchange stores are also shared. RAF Mildenhall has homeware, garden and sports shops, while RAF Lakenheath has electronic and clothing stores. For Staff Sergeant Elliot, working in the UK was always where he wanted to be, and he said he would stay for a decade if he could. I love it here. This is the place I've always wanted to go, my dream base. It's the perfect place where you're overseas, but you still know the language. So that's awesome. I love the culture. One of my favourite foods in the UK is a Sunday roast. I thought it was all talk, but you all brought it. Sunday roasts are it. To residents who live in Mildenhall Hall and surrounding areas, Staff Sergeant Elliot would like people to know that the military community is just that, a community. We're a family. We help each other out and we're always here to support.
0: A community interest company which helps disadvantaged young people has been celebrating after moving to a bigger premises. Monkey Workshops moved its premises in Ruffham to a larger space in Bradfield St George and held a launch to thank supporters. Starting out as Wood Monkey Workshops in 2020, The company now hosts five types of workshops. It still runs Wood Monkey but has added Gear Monkey, Grow Monkey, Music Monkey and Tech Monkey to offer young people aged between 11 and 16 more opportunities. Keith Colley, CEO and founder, said, The launch went really well. We had a lot of support from the local community and it was a great opportunity for those that were with us from the start to see how it has developed. It was also a chance to fundraise because we have plans for, for more monkey workshops. In S- Suffolk and across the country, there is certainly no lack of children needing this, this kind of support, so hence the need to continually add offerings. Not every child wants to do woodwork, but they still have the need for the mentoring and the opportunity to find an activity of interest to spark them. Monkey Workshops supports children in mainstream education who are at risk of exclusion as well as those in pupil referral units and children in care. From the company's humble beginnings in Keith's garage the workshops are able to support around 40 children a week with an aim to reach up to 100 young people a week in the near future. What we've learnt from when we first started is that it works, Keith said. Because we've been going for a little while, we've started to see children who came to us really struggling and feeling socially excluded, and now we've seen these young people enrol in a college course. I feel intensely lucky. This was an idea of mine, and that idea has become a reality through the support of others. Monkey Workshops in itself is an example to young people to put it out there that, with support, things can happen.
1: This feature is a real R story. Zoo's delighted arrival of rare red panda cub. Workers at an East Anglian zoo are absolutely overjoyed after the arrival of an endangered red panda cub. The cub was found nestled with first-time mother, Mithila, on June the 28th at Bannham Zoological Gardens. The birth follows a successful pairing of Banham's resident male, Jasper and Matila, who came from a Swedish zoo as part of the European breeding programme for the species in January. Within months, the pairing proved successful with the birth of a healthy young cub. Red pandas are classified as endangered on the International Union for Conservation of Nature's ICUN Red List Of threatened species, due to habitat loss and hunting for their meat and fur. Oliver Lewis MacDonald, team leader of Carnivores at banham Zoological Gardens, said, "We are absolutely overjoyed to announce the birth of a red panda cub. The European breeding program is instrumental in saving this endangered species, whose wild populations are believed to have decreased by fifty percent in less than twenty years." Matila and her cub are currently being given the utmost privacy in their nest boxes. Red panda cubs usually spend their first few months hidden in the nest before going out to explore their surroundings. But in the meantime, visitors may be able to catch a glimpse of Matila moving her precious cub between boxes. Bannham's male red panda, Jasper, came to the park in 2015 and has previously fathered three cubs in 2016, 2018 and 2019. These cubs have gone on to help save the species through the breeding program at other collections in Europe. Red pandas are the original panda, having been discovered some 50 years before the giant panda. Unlike the giant panda, red pandas are arboreal, meaning they spend most of their time in trees. Mr Lewis MacDonald added, Red pandas are one of our most loved species at the park, popular with visitors for their fluffy bodies distinctive red colour recently the team gave this precious new arrival its first health check and we are delighted to report that we have a very healthy little female cub and there's some absolutely wonderful pictures of this dear little cub and he really looks at his enjoying life
0: and this um, feature has been written by Mark Murphy who as uh, listeners will remember was the uh, broadcaster on BBC Radio Suffolk, and uh, he has an article in in the East Anglian Daily Times. It's headed, life's a beach at Ipswich across the ocean, and I'd love to go back again. I've just had a wonderful two-week holiday in Ipswich. No, not the one I was born in, here in Suffolk, but the one several thousand miles away across the Atlantic Ocean in the United States. Ipswich is a lovely New England coastal town just an hour away from the city of Boston and there couldn't be a greater contrast between the two. Boston has its skyscrapers, the Cheers Bar plus it's the home of the Red Sox baseball team stadium, Fenway Park. It has a population of over 650,000 people making it the capital of Massachusetts. Ipswich on the other hand is home to only 14,000 people and no skyscrapers but it does have many first period houses built before 1725 and in the USA that's early. The links between East Anglia and this part of the world are all around you. Ipswich for instance is in Essex, there are also signs for Haverhill, Cambridge and Waldingfield. Many of the early settlers named their new towns and villages after the places they left behind. One of the founding fathers of Massachusetts, John Winthrop, was born here in the Suffolk village of Edwardstone. He left in 1630 to set sail for the New World. One fascinating link between the two towns of Ipswich is the names Crane and Castle Hill. In the U.S. town is a wonderful Tudor revival mansion called Castle Hill. And, of course, we have a Castle Hill estate in Ipswich. The U.S. mansion was built between 1926 and 1928 as a summer home for Mr. and Mrs. Richard Teller Crane. He was a very wealthy businessman from Chicago. He made his considerable fortune in pipes, valves and bathrooms. The story goes that Mr Crane wanted to build a factory in England and so he said to one of his staff, get me a map. He opened it up and saw our Ipswich and so decided that was going to be the place to build his factory. Build it he did on Nacton Road and for decades it was a major employer in the town until it closed in 2008. One of the first transatlantic phone calls is also said to have taken place between the two Ipswiches, when Mr Crane spoke to the UK site. The beach also carries his name too, Crane Beach. It's a beautiful sandy beach which, thanks to those who now run the estate, is unspoilt and a home not just to beachgoers but but to wildlife too. The worries of the world just drift away as you wander along the water's edge looking for the clamshells for for which Ipswich USA is famous. If you ever get the opportunity, opportunity to visit I'd highly recommend it.
1: And now back to some general news. Just over a decade ago the future looked bleak for Suffolk's libraries. Plans to cut off almost three quarters of them from County Council support meant if their local communities could not take them on they were doomed to close. Today the picture is very different Not only are all 44 still flourishing, but another has been added. Some have moved into better premises, and the services on offer have massively increased. They are now run on behalf of the County Council by Suffolk Libraries, set up after a tidal wave of public anger forced a change of heart. This year it celebrates its 10th anniversary. And those who lead the organisation are in no doubt who should take a huge amount of credit for developing the libraries into ever more relevant community hubs. They are utterly amazing staff. With books still the bedrock of their service, they now support their communities in ways that range from combating social isolation to loaning sports equipment. When the Council announced its downsizing plan in 2011, a band of fiercely loyal supporters sprang into, into action, among them Sylvia Knight's. I basically said, over my dead body, and got involved with the campaign to save the libraries, said Sylvia, who has been vice-chair of Suffolk Libraries since the start. Then, when the County Council announced their consultation, they designated 29 of the libraries as community libraries, and if the community didn't take them over, they would close. I made contact with a number of people across the county who were like-minded. The attitude we took was to directly challenge the County Council with their plans. We formed a group, and whenever the Council were having any meetings to discuss the situation, we attended. They did backpedal fairly quickly. Suffolk Libraries was set up as an industrial Provident Society with a central organization supported by a fundraising friends group in every library. It also became a charity. The County Council is still the major funder for Suffolk Libraries, which also brings in extra cash by running prison libraries across the county. Bruce Leakes took over as Chief Executive in 2018. One of the biggest successes is that we now do a lot more with less, he says. We have dozens more services. Our total opening hours have increased. Colleagues have made us more relevant to all parts of the community. We empower them to do what they believe is the right thing. Books are still the bedrock of what we do. We've loaned 25 million books since 2012 and there have been 6 million digital downloads. But we have diversified. Libraries are the centre of the community and the heartbeat of the locality. Promoting well-being is now a mainstay with a wide range of services to enhance mental and physical health, provide information and ease lo- loneliness. Libraries are comfortable places for people not needing or not ready to seek, more formal help and can even save the NHS money by preventing more serious issues developing. They are the last free, accessible space where people can go. The ultimate neutral, non-stigmatised place, said Bruce. People engage and have feelings of social connection, connectedness. Social assurance also increases. We've been on a bit of a mission for the last five years to show the value of what we do. Our social value is put at £8 for every £1 we spend. We play a massive role in community resilience, helping people to self-support. Recently we did a research project with the University of Suffolk and asked people attending library activities to say how it changed their mood. It showed that libraries do help improve well-being and help with contentedness information is another important service and anyone needing good advice on issues like finance can be pointed in the right direction free use of computers and wi-fi networking groups and entertainment events across the year are among other benefits for library users library staff are supported by 1200 active volunteers who get involved with things like the summer reading challenge home library volunteers go to care homes and into people's homes delivering books to people who are housebound or might be lonely. Suffolk Library's contact to run the service will run out in 2024, having been extended by two years because of the pandemic. The County Council would be obliged to go out to tender to decide who will take it forward. Now don't forget, libraries have a good choice of talking books, which can be ordered and put aside for collection.
0: A Thetford marathon runner had an interesting parcel come through the post. A signed trainer from a 2022 Commonwealth Games gold medalist. Mel Furness, who is running the London Marathon, was sent the item after contacting 10,000 metre champion Elish McColgan about a July social media post where she said she was getting rid of some of her old trainers. Mel said... Elish was also donating them to running clubs and charities, so I contacted her and here we are. I had forgotten about it until it came through the post, as you don't really expect amazing people like her to respond. She has, after all, been incredibly busy. Mel wants to use the item in talks she hopes to to do at town schools to get more teenagers and youngsters into sport.
1: A team from Bury St Edmunds' firm, Brown & Co, has completed a 60-mile walk along the Suffolk coast, starting Felixstowe and ending at Lowestoft. The feat was an aid of Macmillan's cancer support, a cause close to the heart of organiser Charlie Corston. Her father, Malcolm Corston has been diagnosed with terminal cancer. All ten walkers set off last Thursday with Cliff House Holiday Park in Saxmundham, permitting them to camp at the premises free of charge that evening. Along the route, they were supported by friends and family who supplied water for the walkers and assisted them in setting up their tents. Despite poor weather on Friday, the walkers made it to their destination and were joined by Mr. Corston for his for the final leg of the journey. Among the Brown and Co. employees setting out on the trek was Kerry McNabb, who has previous experience climbing Mount Snowdon. She said of the coastal walk, The first day, the weather was lovely, quite warm actually. The second day, the heavens opened and we were soaked through. But it went really well. The campsite was lovely and we all had a really good time. The group has a Just Giving page, which has so far raised around £4,000 towards a £5,000 fundraising goal. In a message posted online after the walk, the organisers said, There was laughter tears and the odd swear word but we made it to the end what an amazing team we had
0: and this uh, item here is uh, from uh, local historian author and tour guide martin taylor and martin has trawled through his archive to found, to find some of his favorite various St. edmunds stories from the past brackland meaning broken ground had two parts short and long, referred, referred by locals at one time as the Borders, probably because it formed the, the border of Berry, when it was looked upon as one of the poorer areas of the town. Perhaps one of its most famous inhabitants was a monk of the abbey, Jocelyn of Bracklond. He kept a chronicle at the end of the 12th century. Little is known about Jocelyn, but his account of life under the Benedictine rule gives a real insight into monastic life then. Here in Long Brackland, at the heart of Industrial Berry, with the railway, coal yards and mills nearby, life for the residents was very hard. For obvious reasons, the Salvation Army built its citadel nearby in 1889 to minister to the poor, and poor they were. Also built close by was the police station, Constables patrolled the area in pairs for safety. Large families were common. Top and tailing beds was the norm, as were shared outside taps and privies. A nocturnal visit to this unrefined earth closet was definitely only undertaken when desperation kicked in as your oil lamp or candle could be extinguished in the night air. Here, the Berry Free Press acquired the sobriquet of the of the the berry bummer when it was cut up into small squares to be hung on a nail for a certain purpose. With crowded accommodation came other problems such as diseases, scarlet fever and TB, fearful visitors that took no prisoners. One thing the old two-up, two-down Victorian terraces had, now sadly lacking, was community spirit. Everyone knew everybody else and their business as they were all in the same boat. Doors were left unlocked as nobody had anything worth pinching. Money was hard to come by, but it was looked upon as a working man's right to his pint, as several pubs peppered the area. The King William, the care of the King, the King Billy in Longbrackland, was much used. It was said in later years before it came down that visiting darts teams never ate the sandwiches provided by their hosts, not because of the quality, but it was probably the first square meal some of the locals had eaten that day. With the slum clearances of the 1960s, swathes of these terrace homes were demolished, here and throughout the town. Dr Joyce Cockrum, an eminent berry doctor, said it was the best thing that could have happened to them, as they were breeding grounds for diseases.
1: We're coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglin Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week, So until then, from Sue, Pat, David and Carol, it's goodbye.
0: Goodbye. Listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Barry St Edmunds studio. Sorry? Oh.
1: No, you can't exactly. You can't touch anything. There might be too much noise in the background.
0: Right, no, I've got to be bits. I've got a
1: pen here. I've
0: got to be bits. There you go. Yeah. To go off.